the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pop quiz. Who said this? We need to be welcoming and celebratory for women of all aspects, of all sizes and shapes. I think that we need to work as a culture in the United States, but also globally, to be more compassionate and more accepting of girls and women, no matter what their size and shape. You know who said this? The man who identifies as Admiral Rachel Levine, the U.S. Assistant Secretary for Health for the U.S. Department of Health and Health Services the head of the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps, in charge of about 6,000 uniformed public health officers, according to USA Today. Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. So here's the situation. USA Today just named the man who identifies as Rachel Levine as one of its women of the year. This trend is everywhere today. We're seeing a man who identifies himself as Leah Thomas, who is competing at the University of Pennsylvania as a swimmer, competing in the NCAA swimming tournament, so to speak. So we're seeing uh, this trend proliferate in our time. And now we're watching leading cultural outlets like USA Today identify the man who calls himself Rachel Levine as one of its women of the year, women of the year. And in the other example I just mentioned, the man who identifies as Leah Thomas is competing. He's competed many times in women's swimming events, and there hasn't been a major public outcry on the part of coaches and swimmers. There have been scattered comments and remarks and protests in, in a few places from individuals, but there has been no sustained public effort to stop this injustice. So what's taking place today, friends? Let's have some clarity. Let's breathe some pure oxygen, not from me, but from God's truth, from the Word of God, from the Scripture, which is the only God-breathed book on the planet, the only sure authority, the only solid rock there is in the world of men. We are seeing a serious and sustained attack on manhood today. We are watching as from all angles, manhood is changed and whittled down to nothing. The attack is supposedly on toxic masculinity. That is the scheme, at least one of the schemes, one of the angles of the scheme that Satan has used in the last five years or so to attack strong manhood and strong biblical manhood in particular. He has targeted and encouraged people to target real abuses of manhood under the guise of toxic masculinity. There is sinful manhood out there. You find it in the Bible, and you find it all around us. 
And yet, this has been a successful campaign to identify manhood itself as something toxic. So that is a major part of what we face today as Christians in a world that hates manhood. It doesn't just hate toxic manhood. Please do not misunderstand. Please do not be lulled to sleep by the schemes of the devil. Our culture despises true biblical manhood, and it despises strong manhood of most any kind, more broadly. Our culture is also attacking manhood by encouraging men to be women and teaching men that they can become women. In the case of Levine, in the case of Thomas, the swimmer, these men are professing that they have become women. No such change has occurred. If you don't hear this from anyone else, hear it from me. A man cannot become a woman. A woman cannot become a man. It is impossible. A man or a woman can try to change their body, and they can accomplish that to a fairly significant degree, depending upon the person, the amount of money they have, the surgeries they go through, the pills they take, the clothes they wear, and so on. But a man can never become a woman, and a woman can never become a man. You cannot fundamentally change who God made you to be. It's impossible. In Genesis 1, 26-28, we learn that God made man in his image, and God made them male and female. So image bearers come in two distinct forms, men and women. There's no in-between category. It is true that there are some children, a tiny minority of children, who are born with a real disorder in which they have both anatomy, the sexual anatomy of a man and of a woman. You go to the chromosomal level to determine whether they are a boy or a girl. But don't let that condition, which is sometimes misleadingly called intersex, confuse you. That is an effect of the fall, and even that child who is without any fault of their own, of course, born in this confusing situation, has chromosomal DNA that tells you whether they are a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, that is. Our culture works off of that condition and numerous other elements and tells us there is no such thing as fixed manhood and fixed womanhood. And what happens from this starting point, this anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-reality starting point, is that then the culture moves to normalize and embrace androgyny. And that is everywhere around us, and I've seen very few Christians speak up against it. It's one thing to recognize that the outer realm of a worldview is not good, not sound, against God. It's another thing, as a believer, I'm saying, as a pastor, as a teacher, as an elder, I'm thinking of men here, to speak against all the little developments in a culture and a society and those that prey upon the church and pull upon the church that encourage it to drift, that encourage it to move away from the solid rock of God's Word. You don't wake up one day and end up with a transgender culture. What has happened in order for that culture to be achieved, as it significantly has been in America in 2022, is that there is a process of development, of drifting, and that has occurred not only in broader society, but in the church. 
Many Christians would take up arms against you if you tried to speak in a clear, convictional way against androgyny. Many fathers and mothers would not want their child, I'm talking about Christians, to transition, so to speak, uh, from boyhood to girlhood or vice versa. But they would be very nervous, and they would probably speak against you, a good number of folks out there. I know this because they have spoken against me. If you say, for example, if you just quote the Bible, if you quote the Word of God and say, for example, that long hair is the glory of a woman and that men shouldn't have long hair, trust me, buckle up, actually put on a helmet. Actually, check yourself and your family into a castle for a couple weeks because of the storm that's coming your way, not just from rank unbelievers who glory in their unbelief, but from many, many professing Christians who view your words, quoting the word of God, as far worse than what an androgynous God-hating culture is effectuating. We are truly in low and evil days today. You see it in a broader society that is mainstreaming androgyny and so-called transgender identity. And you see it in a church that will barely lift a finger to try to impede the progress of this revolution. But even that's too weak. You see this lowness in a church that will actively take up arms against those who dare to challenge and counter the spirit of the age and say things like, boys should be distinct from girls. Girls should look distinct from boys. They should be raised in distinct ways. They should be trained to assume different roles as God leads and blesses them. These kind of truths, especially as you try to use wisdom in some of the admittedly gray areas, are despised today. And that's where you see that many in the evangelical church today, certainly not all, there are actually many who stand against this. There are many who want clarity. There are many who see androgyny as, as sin, as it surely is. There are many who speak against it. Praise God for them. If you're listening to this and you fall into that category, praise God for you. And I don't mean that in a hallmark or disnified way. I mean that in a real God-glorifying way. Praise God that whether your platform is tiny or is huge, you are working in your little sphere, in your corner of things, against lies and for the truth. But there are a good number of folks who at least profess to be evangelical who are far angrier when someone will literally quote a passage of Scripture about, let's say, androgyny than they are about a culture that hates and defies God and suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. The unbeliever doesn't just know that God exists. Romans 1, 18-21 tells us, in the most straightforward language the Apostle Paul could use in speaking to the Roman church about 2,000 years ago, that every unbeliever knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God exists. The unbeliever does need the truth of God, including the truth of the existence of God presented to them from a biblical form, from a presuppositional 
form, that is. And yet we need to recognize that the unbeliever fundamentally does not have a comprehension problem with regard to God and reality. The unbeliever, at some level, according to the conscience that God has given them, Romans 2, 14 to 16, knows that God is real and that God has made us male and female, man and woman, boy and girl. The unbeliever knows that. What does the unbeliever do, though? The unbeliever suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. The unbeliever has a suppression problem. Again, no one is saying you don't present truth to the unbeliever. They need the ministry of truth, and they need it desperately. Yet, please just note, please remember, that fundamentally, unbelievers do know a substantial portion of truth. Their fundamental problem is that they suppress it. They hate it. They deny it. They reject it. We don't choose between presenting truth and appealing to the unbeliever to stop suppressing and start repenting. We don't choose between those two calls that the church issues to the unbeliever. Praise God that the church does so. Praise God that people reached out to us and proclaimed Christ and proclaimed at some level the whole counsel of God, uh, wherever that bore on us. Praise God for that. Called us to repentance in the name of Jesus Christ. Called us to claim the blood of Christ as our washing for our sin. So we don't pick and choose certain areas in which we share the truth, speak the truth, and areas in which we don't. We simply need to know that we are around people today who do, at least to a significant degree in terms of basic right and wrong, know truth. They know God exists. They know at some level that there is a design to the cosmos, that there is good in being a man and good in being a woman. The problem, the, the greatest problem before us encountering sin in this world is not actually comprehension in terms of a general sense of God and a general sense of truth. It's suppression. Now, we do absolutely need to publish, proclaim, herald Christ. The unbeliever doesn't naturally have Trinitarian knowledge. The unbeliever knows of the existence of God. The unbeliever knows some basic right and wrong matters. But the unbeliever does not fundamentally possess an innate knowledge that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. So that is where gospel proclamation in a Romans 10 sense absolutely does come in. Everybody is a theist, but no one is a Christ worshiper by nature. Everyone knows that God exists by existing in this world as an image bearer. But nobody by nature knows and worships Christ truly. And so that is where gospel proclamation, especially announcing the good news of Christ as Savior and Lord, comes in. All this to say, what we are talking about is this. Our world is rejecting God's truth. Our world is suppressing divine truth, and we are seeing this in many different areas, including, very significantly, the area of manhood. We need to understand, secondly, that this attack is very bad for men. 
This is disastrous for men. What we lose in a successful prosecution of the assault that is taking place all around us is manhood. We lose any strong sense of manhood. That's what's happening as, for example, these men who are actually men present themselves as women. And what's happening is that people all around them are not, in even a common grace sense, calling them out of this, saying, stop pretending this. And especially Christians and the church, in lots of cases anyway, not all cases, are failing to proclaim truth to these kind of folks, these kind of sinners. We are accommodating people in these kind of states. We're telling them that their condition is psychological, not moral. We're encouraging them, at least to a degree, to explore this kind of a identity confusion. And we're not calling people to repentance. And this breeds a situation of tremendous confusion, pain, and suffering for many. We are collectively now, as a society, as you see in USA Today's decision to name, air quotes, Rachel Levine as one of its women of the year, we are seeing an assault on manhood. Now, if you say these words, you're going to get mocked. You're going to get mocked on social media and elsewhere because people are going to say things like, we've had thousands of years of rampant patriarchy and now... There's a little bit of shift away from men as the focus of all things, and men start crying and whining about it and gin up a pretend attack on manhood. Some folks will class my kind of presentation here in those terms. But here's what I would say to that kind of response. That is wrong. That is a lie. There is definitely an assault on manhood, and it is definitely bad, not only for men, but for women. That's what you need to understand thirdly here on this humble little podcast. The attack on manhood is extremely and very bad for women. You lose two things if you let men become women, air quotes. It doesn't happen, but you let men think they become women, that is. You lose manhood and you lose womanhood. You lose men who live their lives to try, at least in different ways, in a common grace or special grace way, to strengthen women and children. So you lose men who live in that way. And then you actually and actively have men invading your space. And I don't mean symbolic space. I mean literal and physical space. Men coming into the women's locker room. Little boys coming into the little girls' room. Men busting into wherever women are. We've already seen this happen some decades ago with feminism, where feminism, under the banner of equality, broke down any space that would be for men and trained uh, entire generations to think that anywhere men would gather gather just as men, there's inequity and there's exclusiveness of a kind of evil sort. Men can gather evilly, but any gathering of men where men are together with only men is not necessarily evil. Men need to gather as men. 
taking just one example from the scripture, we know that Jesus named only men as apostles, and only men are to serve as elders of the church, pastors of the church. What does that mean? Well, that means that there's at least one space in terms of congregational leadership and meetings of elders to shepherd the flock where there's going to be only men. That's not a bad thing. That is a God-glorifying reality. Feminism has tried to break down any such gathering, however. And now men are paying back the favor in the late stages of the sexual revolution and are now breaking down any space where women gather exclusively with women. Women can gather exclusively with women in a sinful way, an unrighteous way, just like men. But any gathering where there are women, for example, a kind of, I don't know, Titus 2 discipleship group for women uh, uh, studying the scripture together about biblical womanhood and, and talking it out and trying to live it out, that gathering is not necessarily evil. That is good. God wants such a gathering construed in the right way. So what happens when you collapse manhood is that you lose men and then you actively have men invading the space of women, paying back the favor the feminists did to men some decades ago. This is all very bad. We don't want such a situation. We need to go back to the basics, fourthly and finally, on this podcast. On this podcast, it's singular. Sorry. I've got many different ideas in my mind, as you can tell, for this topic. We need to go back to the basics. We as the church need to shout to the rafter, shout to the heavens, that it is good to be a man and it is good to be a woman. I'm thankful for the recent book along the lines of the, the first shout by Michael Foster. Very strong book. Michael Foster and non-tenant, I believe his name is said. Very helpful book. It's good to be a man and it's good to be a woman. And we need to train, as I've said numerous times on this podcast, boys to be men and girls to be women. A lot of evangelicals start to squirm when you say such things. It is part of how you see that the world is strongly, strongly influencing the church. We get squirmy and squeaky when someone starts talking about defined manhood and defined womanhood. Both men and women bear the image of God. Both men and women are fully human. One sex is not better than the other. Men are not worse than women, and women are not worse than men. There's lies in both directions, all throughout global history and American history and even church history to some degree. And we don't commit new wrongs in order to make old wrongs right. What we do instead is we boldly herald the design of God as good, especially as realized in the gospel of divine grace. God wants men to be strong in Christ. God wants men to lead out in strength. God wants women to be nurturers and helpers in Christ. God equips women for such a holy task. Sometimes if you try to call men, for example, to be courageous online, you'll get people say I, something like, I agree with the call to be courage, but it's genderless. 
Everybody is called to be courageous the same. It's wrong and chauvinist to call men to be courageous and not women. Women can surely show courage, to use just this example. But in the Bible, which is authoritative and sufficient for all of life and all of godliness, men are called to be strong, distinctly. Men are called to lead out in showing strength. 1 Kings 2.2, be strong and show yourself a man. Dying David says to his son Solomon, the king, who's leading the entire nation. He's leading all the people of God in a role that is far stronger than what we associate with a president or a prime minister today, for example. Solomon is literally to be the embodiment of strength for the nation of God. And this same call occurs in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, act like men. What does it mean to act like a man? Well, it means a number of things, but at its core, it means to be courageous and be strong in God. So the Bible definitely and clearly issues a call to men to be strong. It's not that women never have a context for strength, but men are called to lead out in strength, and men are called to lead out in distinctly masculine strength, manly strength. I got a test for you, by the way. I want you to drop the word manly into a conversation at your workplace or your school and at your church, at your church. And I want you to take notes. And I want you to see if people laugh when you say the word manly or manliness in those contexts. If they laugh at the very word manly or the word manliness, congratulations. You have found a culture-influenced location. The Bible does not sneer at manliness, at men being manly. The Bible calls men to be manly. The Bible calls men to manliness, just like the Bible calls women to womanliness, to be womanly. You can tell when people are being influenced by a secular, God-hating, design-denying culture in a direct way if they sneer, mock, and laugh at what the Word of God celebrates. Now, if people do this, by the way, I don't mean that you get red-faced and you start a shouting match. Instead, what you should do if people sneer at the concepts of manliness and womanliness, not just, not just the idea, know what I'm saying here, not just the idea that there are men out there and there are women out there. No, 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 no. We're getting more granular than that. The idea that there is a distinct way of life that is manly, a distinct form of presentation that is manly, and the same is true for women. There's a distinct way of life and presentation that is womanly. What I want you to do if people sneer at you or mock you or laugh at you, even like, <laughs> is I want you to engage them. Speak the truth in love. Honestly, have a, right there on the spot, have a conversation. Ask them without any anger in your voice, why is that funny? Why is it funny to say the word manly? Or if you said the word womanly and you got the same mocking response, why is it funny to say the word womanly? What about that makes you laugh? 
and welcome and engage the conversation that follows. And my prayer, of course, is that you'll take them to the truth of God and you'll help them see that God's design is beautiful. It's not evil. It's not gross. And to, to use the reverse here, androgyny is evil. It's not manliness and womanliness that is bad, that is sinful. It's androgyny. It's blurring the boundaries. It's teaching boys and girls that they're the same. It's losing any sight of the distinctness of boys unto men and girls unto women. Let's go back to the basics. Of course, there are all sorts of ways in which our discipleship to Christ overlaps as men and women. Of course there are. We don't have a separate gospel for men and a different one for women. But we need to go back to the basics and we need to love the scripture. And this is a tremendous time for such discipleship, training, and formation. You see, the culture, brothers and sisters, is absolutely collapsing. It is fast losing its grip on any sense of what is true on reality most broadly. If you and I live by fear and worry and anxiety, this is a terrific time to lose our minds right along with the culture. But if you and I live by the spirit in us that drives us like an arrow in the direction of heaven every day we live, then this is a terrific time to dig in and do deep formation of boys and girls. We have lost many of the helping agents and voices in the broader society and culture and even shame on us in the church. So a lot of that superstructure that used to at least nudge boys to be men and girls to be women in, I'm speaking of America here, but this is true beyond America, a lot of that which used to exist here has collapsed. It's gone. And now it's not just gone. In its place has come the new androgynous order that actively not only nudges, but basically demands now that boys and girls be seen as basically the same. And even if there is a space where men are still interacting primarily with men, I'm thinking of something so prosaic as the NCAA tournament, for example. March Madness is just kicking off, one of my favorite times of the year. And I'm watching one of the play-in games, the New England team of Bryant uh, College playing in a play-in game last night, ultimately losing. And repeatedly, just time and time again, I'm getting ads for the, the women's tournament. It's not bad to have women uh, play in, in certain sports or something like this. But anywhere there is now a masculine space, so to speak, we've got to endlessly also promote the women's space. Listen, what a confused time. What a strange age. But what an opportunity for us as people are losing sight all around us of manhood and womanhood to especially lock in with our youth, with our children with teenagers in the church, with college students, and train them and help them to understand the goodness of divine design of men and women, to show them how the gospel doesn't 
dissolve your manhood into androgyny or your womanhood into androgyny. The gospel actually super accelerates you to embrace being a man of God and a woman of God. What an opportunity this is. I don't mean I would wish for these days to be as evil as they are. I feel for fathers and mothers out there, these are very difficult days in America, in Canada, in Europe, in the UK, in the world beyond. This this is a tough time for many of us. This is a tough time for the church. But you see, friends, we don't follow the spirit of the age, and we don't have the spirit of the age living inside us. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So we don't live by fear. We don't live by anxiety. And we don't live in defeat. We are walking behind the crucified, resurrected, and ascended warrior Savior, Jesus Christ. He has defeated the devil. He has come back from the dead. He is saving sinners. And yes, he is helping his church, training his church to embrace all the word of God. And that Christ is the one who will lead us out of the tremendous confusion and evil we are in. There is so much attacking going on of manhood and also of womanhood. But the good news is, Local churches and Christian institutions and schools and colleges and seminaries and on it goes have a surging opportunity today to dig in and to tell the truth, to clear our throat, to avoid lack of clarity, to find our courage in God, and to help those who are living in unreality. And part of what we do, of course, as I have alluded to already, is if somebody is diving into androgyny and drifting from their God-given sex, we do not treat that condition psychologically. Surely your mind and your soul and your body are all intricately bound. But somebody who is embracing androgyny, who thinks that they need to transition, who believes that their identity is transgender, does not need assistance in cross-dressing. What that person needs is a clear and loving gospel call to repent of such evil. Leave it behind and find the good paths of manhood and womanhood once more. Will there be conversations in such instances with folks who are drawn to androgyny and drifting into sin of that kind? Yes, in many cases there will be. And it's totally valid and viable to try to understand why somebody is pulled in that direction. Are there factors in their past? Is there pain that has occurred in their life? And this is the way they're responding to that pain. These kinds of questions and conversations are, hear me, clearly good to have. We don't just march up to people and say, stop it. We do issue the call in Christ 
to repentance and faith. We absolutely do. But we are very glad and even eager as Christians, and certainly in the context of the local church, to work with people through why they are following the flesh rather than God. In some cases, friends, there are going to be real background factors or just real internal impulses that people have, and we talk with them about that. We understand as best we can and as best they can where that's coming from. But this is not fundamentally a psychological problem. This is not just mental illness in the way that some conservatives out there in a political sense say it is. No, we have the antidote, church. We know that the solution to somebody who is embracing androgyny is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't call sinners, once more, I say this, to leave behind manliness and womanliness. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls you as a man to embrace your God-given manhood, as a woman to embrace your God-given womanhood. So sanctification and conformity to Christ as a Christian is not going to look like you pretending like there is no such call. Sanctification and conformity to Christ is going to look like all of us embracing the upward call that is in Christ to be a God-centered man and a God-centered woman. If you're listening to this podcast and there is a child in your home, there's a member of your family, there's somebody right there in your circle of friends there's a member of a small group at your church who is drifting along these lines, and I know this is going to obtain for a good number of folks who are listening to this humble little podcast. Then what I would say to you is simply this as we wrap up here. Remember that love does not mean going silent. Love means speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. Is there prayer that goes into this? Is there you and me trying to set up a conversation well and do it as best we can so as to be heard well? Sure. But fundamentally, the need of the church is not to accommodate those who are drifting. Not one bit. The need of the church is to warn those who are drifting to remind them that the stakes are eternal and that all those who do let themselves, carefully chosen words, drift away from God. Don't drift into nothingness. Don't drift into a happy sunset. Drift into the everlasting wrath and judgment of God. The stakes are that high. There is an eschatological edge to the Christian faith that I fear we have lost in our time. We're a comfortable, soft, therapeutic church today, and we have lost the sense of the Gospels in which Christ says things like, keep your lamps burning, watch for the thief and the night. That is the Christian faith of the Scripture. It's not a Christian faith that lets people drift. It's not a Christian faith that looks lightly on our own personal drift. Far more than we're concerned about someone else, we're concerned about ourselves, not selfishly, but because of texts like 1 Timothy 4.16. We're called to watch our life and doctrine closely. And brothers and sisters, many are not today.
And Satan is very, very glad to assist you in not watching your life and your doctrine closely. So, this is a difficult issue. This is an issue that involves identity, like homosexuality. But this is an issue that calls for courageous and loving witness. Today, we are living in the age of a deep and sustained attack on manhood. And it is only right and glorifying to God that we clear our throat, defy the fear we feel rising up in us sinfully, confess that to God, find our courage in the Spirit, and speak the truth in love. That is what the world desperately needs, not a gospel that accommodates and affirms sin, but a gospel that challenges and defies sin and calls sinners just like us into the marvelous light of the gospel of Christ. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.